So, Father Bryce. Yes. I uh, had the pleasure last week of blessing, you know, two things. We, we bless cars, we bless mm-hmm. homes, we bless people, obviously. Mm-hmm. But last week I had the distinct pleasure of blessing a fire engine and an airplane, oh. an aeroplane, uh, all in one week. So wow. that, that was very new, very fun. Uh, I thought it fun that I put holy water on a fire engine. Um, that, was yeah. just, that was just something really fun about that. That seems ap- appropriate. And the prayer for the airplane mentions Elijah going up in a fiery chariot. <laughs> so that was, that's pretty cool too. Wow. So, I, didn't, uh, I didn't even know that we had specific uh, blessings for airplanes. Do, was there also a specific blessing of the fire engine? There was, but these are pulled out of like, um, and not necessarily of our Ephologion, but you know, you have... Oh, like the Book of Needs. Yeah, you got these yeah. later liturgical books where they, you know... I mean, in the old days, they had the blessing of fishnets and... Of course. Candles and salt and wells, you know? So cattle, right. uh, all kinds you, of things. You got it. We'll bless it. So I think it's very cool to bless a fire engine... Um, which is serving the community, protecting people from fire. Yeah. Uh, and it's also fun to bless an airplane. If we bless a car, right? surely we would bless an airplane. Of course. I mean, right? I, I mean, yeah. As yeah. long as, it, as, long as uh, whatever the object is not intended for illicit purposes, let's no. bless it. No, they, they, they were for good purposes. Both, of course. both situations, yeah. very good we'll, purposes. We'll bless just about anything. Yep. So... Um, what's going on in your world? Well, uh, recording podcast. <laughs> pretty, pretty exciting. Yes. This is, this is church coffee where the theology is never watered down and the conversation is ongoing. Our very first episode of church coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we went for this name church coffee because the idea is that these are kind of conversations you might have. Uh, with your priest in coffee hour, if you had enough time uh, to just luxuriate in the in the coffee hour and sip your delicious church coffee and enjoy a wonderful conversation. And the conversation keeps flowing because coffee keeps flowing. And we're just a couple of priests. We're not we're not pretending to offer you definitive answers to these questions just like we would hopefully not pretend to offer you definitive answers to these questions in coffee hour so welcome to your virtual coffee hour the podcast church coffee i'm father bryce i'm father gregory so of course people can grab real coffee uh, absolutely and enjoy I, I recommend it while they're listening to this and uh we will try to provide you know some some amount of answer obviously so some we're yeah, not yeah, yeah. this exactly. isn't just for fun right exactly exactly so mostly for fun so our topic for this first one you know was creation and we got a lot of questions and a lot of them kind of uh boiled down to this kind of you know typical you you get this question a lot like okay we have the narratives of genesis for creation you know, Genesis 1 is read at a lot of the major feast days of the Lord, for example, at the Vespers, whether it's Theophany or Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, you know, people hear these readings and they're familiar with them and they say, well, how does this all work with science? How does this work with, 
you know, uh, theories like evolution or Big Bang or kind of theories of, of you know, how things got here or how things mm-hmm. are, how things work. And so the, this, the, ma- the vast majority of the questions were really kind of related to that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, and this is, this is kind of one of my wheelhouse areas. I really uh, like talking about this intersection of kind of faith and science or faith and reason. Uh, my, my degree at Western, w- the emphasis was in the history and philosophy of science. Uh, philosophers having no uh, real discipline of their own like to tell people in other disciplines how to do what they are doing. And so, uh, so this uh, confusion around this topic in particular uh, came up a lot with some of uh, my fellow Christian students and my Christian professor at the school. And, and I think we see a misunderstanding of both what the scripture is trying to do and a misunderstanding of what science tries to do. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of we we think the, the concept or the idea that these two things are at odds with one another or in competition with one another. I think it's really due to a misunderstanding in general about both of these things. Right. Right. I mean, so it definitely, you know, like uh, a scientific literacy you know, is pretty low, mm-hmm. actually, in America. I mean, people may think they have an understanding of what these things are, but they, they know a little bit about of them, but haven't really studied or read them in depth at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people have misconceptions about what evolution is. You know, yeah. it's it's definitely not the idea of a single organism evolving into something else within its lifetime, right? That <laughs> I've seen some of that on <laughs> X-Files and yes. other shows, which are really right. creepy, creepy versions of that. Um, no, but and, not documentaries, at least as far as I know. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there might be some folks out there that think they're documentaries. <laughs> but, and uh, it also doesn't mean like a linear progression necessarily from one species into another. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's that famous uh, picture that image, uh, it's called like, uh, March of progress. And it kind of shows like small, starts with like a small little monkey and you have like these silhouettes and it kind of gets to a bigger and bigger kind of primate until it turns into like a, a man walking in a suit or whatever. And Uh it it shows them erecting and straightening up. And, you know, people are very familiar with this one. You see this image, you know, you're like, Oh yeah. But that's actually not probably i well i don't think it is an accurate image of what actually evolution is so right not not even an accurate understanding of what the scientific community thinks evolution is correct correct so it simply means a change and this is kind of a basic definition from biology a, a change in the gene pool of biological populations over successive generations okay um there's this great ted talk i think that i'm getting his name right now it might be anderson um, but he kind of talks about the five fingers of evolution. Okay. Um, so it's an easy way to remember, right? So why do, why do, why does this happen? And the pinky is for population like shrinking. So it's like your smallest finger. So this can be brought about by like plagues or massive droughts or, you know, things like that. And mm-hmm. so one, one thing I was thinking about, I mean, since we've been through this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, lately, uh, you know, there was a lot of more coverage on things like the Black Plague 
And mm-hmm. I guess the Black Plague like wiped out like a third of humanity or something like that. It was wow. a very large number. Yeah. But, you know, obviously some people survived and some people didn't. And it wasn't because of like precautionary measures or whatever. They, they didn't know much about that stuff then. Right. And so, um, so it's kind of like, okay, well, was there something genetic about those that were, had a higher propensity for not surviving and mm-hmm. or something genetic about those who did survive, um, and, uh, you know, so then, so then the third, basically that, that didn't make it like those genes wouldn't necessarily be passed on in the, in the gene pool as much. Mm-hmm. And so you see a shrinkage of population and, and you see kind of an evolution take place in that way. Okay. Uh, not necessarily an observable one in that case. Right. Um, and then the ring finger through mating, obviously, you know, you have the analogies of genes, recessive genes, hair color, sure. all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of obvious how that can take place. Gregor Mendel style. Yes. Uh, who is a Benedictine monk? I'd like to point out. Yes. Uh, there you know, go. Faith and science. Yes. And definitely had no issue there. Uh, yeah. Middle finger uh, through mutation of genes. So the M there. Uh, so genes mutating. People talk about that in the medical field all the time in mm-hmm. biology. Uh, index finger, just think about your pointer finger there through migration, changing place, you know, um, and then that brings in the thumb for adaptation, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down for good ad- adaptation or bad adaptation. So a good adaptation obviously tends to last, the bad adaptation tends not to. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so, and this happens over like a long period of time. And, and this is kind of like the, a basic understanding of the process of like how evolution happens. And this is observable. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard, uh, I think he was a biophysicist maybe. And he just said, evolution is how biology works. Um, it's kind of an interesting statement. So, so then, okay. So then having an understanding of what that is, how then are people to read and understand the narratives in Genesis one and two? Yeah. Yeah. And. I think it's worth emphasizing uh, that you said narratives plural, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some sometimes people get confused because they don't recognize that there's actually a couple to a few different narratives at play in those first few chapters of Genesis, and there's even some difference of ordering of what gets created when between those two narratives, mm-hmm. right? So, so like you pointed out, scientific literacy is not extraordinarily high here in America, but neither is biblical. Whoa, that's not a word. Biblical literacy. Uh, You know, we Orthodox Christians may be particularly guilty of this, but even amongst... Yes, we are, actually. Well, yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. There's For us, it's just we don't read the Bible, unfortunately. Uh, But even amongst uh, Christian groups who do read the Bible, who um, have, you know, parishioners who are maybe even reading the Bible every day, uh, just because you're reading a text does not mean that you're necessarily biblically literate. Uh, you can read a text over and over and over and never understand it. And I think my favorite example of this is within Scripture itself. You have the Ethiopian eunuch uh, that Philip is teleported to in the book of Acts reading Isaiah and Philip says do you understand what you're reading and he says how could I possibly understand this if I didn't have somebody to explain it to me yes I'm, sir I'm so glad you brought up the Ethiopian eunuch because I just want to jump in and say that 
statistically, it has been shown that the Ethiopian Orthodox are actually some, among the best about reading the Bible. <laughs> so of the that's Orthodox. So awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So so they 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 took that fervor uh, and they have and carried it. it in in their tradition uh, yes. and made sure they found people who like like the 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 original guy found people who could explain to them the meaning of the scriptures. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. So so people are reading, you know, Genesis one and these narratives about the creation, but they don't really have a, a context or an understanding about how the scripture is working, what genre they're reading, because as we know, the scripture wasn't penned by one person it wasn't written as one body of work it wasn't one genre of work you'll have even one author switching back and forth between poetry and more kind of narrative prose and some kind of historical documents and you have genealogies and all of these different genres of literature have to be read as the genre that they are um and and we we can't always tell reading you know a translation sometimes a translation of a translation who knows you know how far removed we are from that original language and its original context its original audience what it's trying to do um so just as an idea even beyond understanding the genres that are at play in scripture there are also various kind of modes of reading that we find within current scholarship within the church fathers and we might read scripture as allegory we might read scripture as typology which is to say we see um, something in the old testament that uh, prefigures the type in the New Testament or in the life of Christ, most often this is the case, that something right, right. in the Old Testament is a, is a foreshadowing of the type of Christ. Uh, the, the language is anti-type, right? right? So we have the type, which is Christ. He's Even though he comes later in history, he's the obviously the primary. The fulfillment, the, yeah. Yeah, and then we have the anti-type. And you actually see this if you read in um, Basil's post-communion prayers, uh, or the the prayer the priest says after he comes into the altar uh, after the prayer behind the amvon, that we use the word the antitypes, mm -hmm. which is such a strange word if you're just yeah. flipping through the liturgy, you know, well, in the pews there. You're going, what is an antitype? But that's what it's talking about, right? And it's strange to us because anti, you know, we usually think of that from the Latin, um, right? But it's different from the Greek, so right. It's like antidoron. Mm -hmm. which instead, instead of, of the gifts. Right. Yeah. As opposed to like, uh, uh, you know, opposed to or something. Right. right. Yeah. And then of course there are, there are moral texts that um, not only tell us how to live, but really kind of function as a mirror and, mm -hmm. and show us who we are yeah. and who we are specifically in relation to God and who God made us to be. And who we are in relation to the creation that he put us in. And, right. And what our role is there. And then, of course, we might read something uh, spiritually. And that's not to say that any of these things, the allegorical, the typological, the moral, or the spiritual, it's not like only one of these is happening right. at any one time. So there might be a text that we read on several different levels. And so to claim 
biblical literacy is actually quite a high bar. There's a lot going on in scripture all of the time. And, and especially in these first few chapters of Genesis, this is kind of, you know, the foundational text. This is, this is the beginning. This is setting up a lot of, a lot of the understanding of who we are, what the world is, who God is, Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of work is being done in these first few chapters to make sure we get off on the right foot so that we can then understand what happens later in Genesis, what happens in Exodus, uh, etc. So um, we there's a lot of misreading. We'll put it that way. There's a lot of misreading yeah. Of, yeah. of what's going on in this creation narrative and what and what is its purpose. Right, right. And, you know, and just to bring up a point, I mean, I know sometimes people hear like allegorical interpretations. They'll be like, oh, you're just trying to get away with something. But uh-huh. let's keep in mind, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament does the same thing. I mean, he he uses allegorical interpretations and literally says so. This is an allegory. It means right. Hagar and Sarah, you know. And right. so you have you have those kinds of examples, even in the New Testament, of them reading the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament that way. Right. And it, yeah, and so going back to your, your question, you know, functionality and audience and all that, for example, uh, there's a Christian bishop from the 4th, 5th century, Theodoret of Cyrus. He's from the Antiochian school. And he's kind of... We should, ta- we should maybe explain what you mean by the Antiochian school. The Antiochian school, they were more, they emphasized more like typological reading or what they would have considered a more literal reading. Um, right. as, opposed as opposed to, to the Ag- Alexandrian school that often had the very lofty spiritual readings. Yeah, allegorical and spiritual um, readings. Yeah, and and again, to your point earlier, you know, it's not that one is right and the other is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just all different layers uh, of approach, and they're all edifying when done well. Yes. Uh, and we see them done well, you know, in the church fathers. And, but for Theodoret of Cyrus, you know, he has this little book on, he was just answering questions on the first eight books of the Bible. And, and he talks about the Genesis narrative of creation. And he, he, he reminds his, uh, his readers, he's like, look, um, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. Yeah. Uh, that's a long time, many generations. And they had been influenced by um, Egyptian belief and thinking on things, mm-hmm. uh, including, you know, worshiping part of creation, the stars, the moon, the sun, um, right. let alone you, croc- crocodiles, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the Egyptian pantheon, right, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of see this. And, and so part of the narrative is like, no, none of those things are divine. Mm-hmm. God even made the big, scary crocodile. Right. Uh, and in fact, in, in, uh, where is it in Job? It's like, yeah, it's, it's his, Leviathan. it's his play thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's his pet. Right. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so, so there's this, you know, so that's, that's part of the point, right? That's part of the mm-hmm. context. Theodoret is saying is, you know, to establish the proper relationship, like you were saying earlier between God and creation and man. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's corrective that's happening there. And there's corrective against these other kind of Babylonian creation myths or Egyptian creation myths. Uh, there's a lot of overlap because he had to speak to them where they were. And Theodoret also makes that point, right? Yeah. Like he has to talk to them about where they are and kind of 
the general assumptions they have about the world at that time. Yeah. Uh, so if he was writing this today, it would be very different. Um, of course. Very, very different. Um, but still emphasizing those key theological truths um, that we hear. And, and like you were saying, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of depth. There's so much going on there. Who, who is God? Oh, yeah. God, God is the creator. Um, uh, paradise, um, even heard like the paradise of garden being talked about as a temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, you know, Adam and Eve as, you know, like kind of like, or Adam as like the priest, you know, um, th- there's so many things going on there in that creation mm-hmm. narrative. It's not, so to your point though, the, the Bible is not a book of, of like a modern book of biology or, or geology or zoology. Right. That's not its point. That's not what it's trying to do. That's not how it functions. Right. That's, that's not, uh, the questions that the audience would have had. No, they're trying to understand like, okay, how are we, wh- who, what are we? Are we, are we the, the collateral damage of a cosmic battle between a good God and a bad God? Right. That's that, what some, the ancient peoples believed. Right. Are, were the drops of blood of some dragon, some evil dragon God. Yeah. Are so, we, so then what we're evil at our core or something? Are we, are we the lemmings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some God just decided to make cause he was bored or whatever. I mean, you know, no, I mean, man's made in the image of God. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a huge revolutionary ideal, especially at that time. Right. As opposed to only the King being the image of God. Right. Everyone, every created human being is made in the image of God. And that kind of gets emphasized right with the later genealogies, you know, Seth mm-hmm. and, the descendants of Adam who are in Adam's image and so on and so forth. And Adam's in God's image. And that gets picked up in Luke's gospel again. So, I mean, that's just one of the points and yeah. that man is created as a community of persons because he's in the image of God, the Trinity. Yeah. Um, the only time God says it's not good in creation, right. Is when man is alone. Um, yeah. And then, and that, that creation is good. You know, there's not elements of creation that are inherently evil and other elements of creation that are inherently good. Creation is good. God made them good. Yeah. He made so all things good. So there's so much going on here and throughout all of Scripture, but that, that speaks to a great responsibility that I think we can lose sight of because it's so easy to get a Bible now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this would have been a, a, a reserved text, only the educated, only those who had been trained how to read it, would have had access to it. And now you can get a Bible for nothing almost, which is good. I'm not, I'm obviously not saying that's a, that's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. We can lose sight of the responsibility and the weight of what it means to read this text because of the proliferation of it. Well, and, and just, and, and just to learn, to have like a spirit of really wanting to dive in, really learn, Mm -hmm. um, and, and realizing there's a lot there. So yeah. yeah, there's this, this quote I'm reminded of, you know, and looking at this relationship between, you know, the world of science and Genesis account, interestingly enough from the fifth century, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so I'm just going to summarize it a little bit, but basically Augustine of Hippo, you know, a Bishop of North Africa in the fifth century, mm-hmm. uh, he just says, you know, many people know stuff about the world. You know, the stars, the sun, the moon, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And he he basically says it's not good for a Christian, presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture, to talk nonsense on these topics. Mm. You know, I mean, because that actually hurts uh, the 
the the witness of the gospel. Uh, of course, pe- people find a Christian mistaken, you know, badly mistaken in a field which they happen to know a lot about, and they hear him like maintaining, you know, foolish opinions about the books of scripture, mm-hmm. uh, which can happen a lot. Does happen a lot. Uh, you know, he's how how are they? Augustine goes on to say, how are they going to believe? you know, when the books talk about things like resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life yeah, in the, in the kingdom of heaven, like they'll just kind of reject all of it. Right. If, the really if, important stuff. Yeah. If they hear, you know, these kind of just really bad, um, kind of explanations of some of these texts. Yeah. So, and I think that that reminds me of, um, what, something that Metropolitan Callistos Ware said about how we as Orthodox Christians read scripture, we read it, in community Mm -hmm. so if if you go off acting like a representative of the community and saying well this is what scripture says your people don't know whether or not you're a good representative of the community right and that's that kind of comes back to that responsibility so if you go and you proclaim well the bible says the earth is flat Right, which some people are that's <laughs> yeah. a thing now, yeah, apparently. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, you know, then people are gonna be like, Well, the Bible is dumb. Well because yeah. that's just obviously false. And and you know, you might hold a similarly errant uh scientific thing to be fact because well that's what it says in the Bible, but maybe you're not reading it correctly. Right, and that and, can, and that can be true both ways. I mean, science has its science has its limits. Absolutely. I mean, if you're you know someone who's like maybe a pure materialist, right? The the, the yeah. dilemma the dilemma always is, well, where did the stuff come that all the stuff came from? You know, right. how did that stuff get there? You know, how did the how did the primordial soup? I don't know if that's even accurate, but you know, get there for you know evolution, or how did you know the gases get there to explode in the Big Bang? Or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. These are always kind of, you know, those are always going to be questions that, you know, uh, I remember hearing about the Big Bang that when you go back far enough, you reach, if, if, you know, if you get to a point of the beginning of it, the laws of physics just break down. Mm-hmm. And so you really can't know anything about the very earliest moments of it as the theory is, you know, proposed. Right. Um, which, by the way, the Big Bang theory was, was you know, talked about, it was a, a priest, a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he, he used the word, like, I think the Hubble effect and things like that in, mm-hmm. in talking about it. So, uh, so again, you know, there's a person of faith who's, who's also a scientist. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I don't know if this is fact or not. I remember somewhere hearing that Einstein talked about that the more he learned about the world, the more he kind of, uh, stood in awe of God or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that probably needs to be fact checked, but, uh, so, you know, these, all these quotes floating around church the, coffee where we make up quotes. All the time. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> I didn't make that one up. I've definitely seen that one somewhere. The question is whether somebody else made it up. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, the, the, you know, dealing with questions like where did Cain's wife come from or where are the people he ran away from or, uh-huh. or, you know, where exactly is, you know, paradise on the earth and things like that. These questions, you know, they, what we're talking about here kind of works for them too, just in the sense of, uh, it's not necessarily to be read always by like a play by play, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of, but, but it's, it's conveying spiritual truths It's can talking, it's giving us, 
truth about fallen humanity, God's justice, mm-hmm. mercy, you know, etc. And yeah, so, and if and if you try to read it simply as a text that's teaching you about history, mm-hmm. you're going to be missing all of the important things that it's trying to teach you. Right. Right. Not uh, not not that it's never trying to teach not that it's never a record of historical events. Sometimes scripture is that. Right. But but if that's the only thing you're going to it for, you know, if you only read the the Gospels as a, a, a historical description of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, well, you're you're just missing out on on all of the other good things that the Gospels are doing. Sure. So, yeah, so to kind of go back to this relationship between science and faith, you know, scientific theories, I would say, personally, not only do not impede faith, but they can enhance faith. I agree, 100%. Uh, truth does not contradict truth. They run parallel lines. You know, they don't crash into each other. Again, if they are crashing into each other, we probably means we need to learn something more either about Scripture or about science or probably about both. And it's good for us yeah. to have, you know, a good, a good sense of humility Yes. as we approach these texts. Um, we, could all, we could all be a little bit more humble about about what we're calling our knowledge. Right. So a, a quote that I am more familiar with, you know, Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher, right? He basically says, you can't learn what you think you already know. Mm. Um, so it's just important to have like a good. A, a good humility and yeah. how we're approaching these things. And another thought, you know, I had on this is if Christ invited the apostle Thomas to come and investigate his very person after the mm. resurrection, um, then surely he's inviting us to investigate and learn more about the wonder of the created universe. And as I said, which ultimately I think will lead uh, to a greater kind of praise of God. Absolutely. So kind of what are, what are some of the takeaways from all of this? Um, I would say one is certainly to uh, approach the scriptures uh, in humility and prayer, mm-hmm. always asking, you know, there's that prayer in the liturgy uh, that that the priest says right before we read the gospel, shine in our hearts, uh, the pure light of your divine knowledge. I think that's a great prayer uh, to read before scripture. I think in that blue, um, my Orthodox prayer book, I think that actually is mm-hmm. the prayer that it has for the prayer to read before scripture. So right. always approaching the scriptures as an opportunity really to encounter God and what he wants to teach you, right? Uh, our Old Testament professor uh, was often fond of, of quoting that verse, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, um, which it usually is translated, all scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired. Uh, the Greek word is theopneustos, uh, and he he really he loved that verse because he liked to say well it's not quite what the greek says it really says all scripture is god's breathing mm-hmm. and so if we're if humanity is created is given life by the breath of god in these narratives that we're talking about well how do we get new life we go to god's breathing to the scripture to encounter him not as a dead book not as you know something that's written and done and closed but as a living kind of encounter with the word of god yeah which is more than just this text and you and that's great and it reminds me of something that the apostle paul also said that people could have known god from creation 
Yeah. Um, and so similarly, we can go with that same sense of wonder. Um, you know, obviously not, I'm not talking about like some sort of a, a pantheistic way, but no. And, and the sense of wonder of, 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 you know, studying the created world, studying the world as it is and the elements of the universe on, yeah. on all, on all levels. And that can deepen our, our faith and our, our encounter with God as well. Yeah. I forget that. You, I know you'll, you'll know this cause I'm pretty sure I heard this quote from you. There's the, the desert father who was asked, well, oh, what, where, where are your books? St. Anthony, St. Yeah. Anthony. Yeah. And he, and he points at the creation around him and says, this is my book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The philosophers, how can you get along without books? He goes, I have this book. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, which look, the scientists would love, right? I mean, yes, this is the book. This is the thing we study. This creation, uh, this universe is a thing to be marveled at and studied and loved and cherished in this way of getting to know it better. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, glory to God. I mean, to me, this, it's, um, it's not a competition, no, these, these worlds, um, it's, it's a complementary yes. aspect. And, um, I think that, I think a good, a good, you know, one line takeaway is don't panic. Yeah. <laughs> you that's, know, that's probably true for most things. <laughs> when, when, when it seems like, you know, there's a, a contradiction here, maybe you're not quite understanding right. one or the other side. And we often aren't, uh, and right. that's, that's true for all of us. Um, so to have that humility, uh, of wanting to learn. Yeah. Of being open, curious in a good way. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, um, being open to what God can reveal to us. Um, right. which is, which is amazing. It's amazing. So it really is because the conversation keeps flowing. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. So that's a good one to keep flowing. You can talk about that one for the rest of your life and never exhaust it. So absolutely. Well, Thanks for listening to Church Coffee. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a review. Make sure to tell your friends that Church Coffee isn't so bad after all. If you have questions you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts, you can email us at churchcoffeepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, churchcoffeepod. Or, preferably, leave us a voicemail at 317-660-5498. We would love to be able to play your voicemail on the podcast and let uh, people hear some other people talk for a change. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you, Father Bryce. It's been a lot of fun having this conversation. It's been a blast. Thank you, Father Gregory. All right. Take care. God bless you, everyone.